Well, this week has been an incredibly weird and difficult week for me, Rebecca, and our family, and I have to admit that it's been difficult to be positive 100% of the time. Sure, I'm excited about the challenges that I'm called into ahead, but it does little to dampen the loss and grief we feel when we think about leaving Wollongong. One of the incredibly powerful things that really has kept us going over the last week or so has been encouragement. There's so many people talking about how we're going to do well in our new roles, how much we're going to love Melbourne, about how blessed Victoria will be to have us. To be honest, it does feel a little bit like people are trying to get rid of us already. But I also had a Facebook message this week out of the blue from a young person I mentored in Western Sydney, thanking me for conversations we had about 10 years ago. It's just so encouraging and just the reminder I needed. That young guy who got the courage to message me after 10 years has no idea just how important that message was and how timely. I don't think I could ever quite convey just how important it was because at the time I couldn't tell him I was wrestling with the concept of leaving Wollongong. Today I want to tell you that you have no idea what God might do through a single word of encouragement. Everyone you see is facing things you can't see. Battles you often don't know anything about. So we can talk about encouragement, helping other people be positive, putting the positive into others. How many of you know what I mean when I say friends are like elevators? Some of them can use words to lift you up. These are the people, right? If they invite you out for coffee, you'll go with them and it doesn't matter where they're going to take you. They could take you to a service station for coffee and you would still go because they are just so great to be around. They lift your spirits. They are just amazing encouragers. But then how many of you have friends that are just the opposite? It wouldn't matter if they invited you to the best coffee shop in town. You just wouldn't want to go. Some of them can use words to really bring you down. These are the people that you'll duck into a shop if you see them coming. You'll avoid their calls and messages. Because when you hang out with them, they just seem to suck the very marrow of life out of you particularly if you're wrestling with someone or if you made a mistake or if you're suffering in some way. They ask all the questions. Why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Why would you have done that? Don't you know that that's what would have happened? Don't you know you should have done this? Or that's terrible. If only you'd done a better job. (laughs) How many of you got friends or family like that? I know the typical stereotype is to hear horrible stories of mothers-in-law, but I have a great one. So what would I know? The book of Job in the middle of the Bible is the greatest philosophical, one of the greatest philosophical works of all time and all cultures. It is a sublime piece of literature, the most well-written book in the whole Bible, if you're going on purely grammar. It's the story of one man, Job, who's suffering terribly through no fault of his own. But the way the world was then, they believed everything happened for a reason. They believed that if you were successful, you must be doing everything right because God is blessing you. And if you were suffering, then it's because you must have done something wrong and God is punishing you. The principle was do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Simple philosophy of the day. So Job is suffering through no fault of his own. And that cannot be stated clearly enough. The author of Job writes this whole scene at the beginning of the book, featuring a conversation between Satan and God and whatever. And the whole point of this whole writing is to make it super clear that what is happening to Job is not his fault. But along come Job's friends 
who represent the main teaching of the day. And they say, it's your fault. You must have done something wrong. What evil did you do? What mistakes did you make? What sins did you commit? It's your fault. You deserve this. You shouldn't have sinned. You brought this on yourself. You made your bed and now you have to lie in it. Actually, that's a dumb phrase, isn't it? Is that a dumb phrase? Beds are nice to lie in, especially after you've just remade them. Anyway, these friends were like elevators with a broken cable, crashing to the basement. And Job's response was brilliant. And he says this, I've heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? I could say the same things of you if I was in your place. I could spout off criticism and shake my head at you. But if it was me, I would encourage you. I would try and take away your grief. If it were me, I use my words to give life. It was, if it was me, I'd fight to become the most encouraging voice this side of heaven. I'd fight to put the positive into your life, not the negative. Another wise writer in the Bible says, the tongue has the power of life and death. It's so true, isn't it? So in the face of his basement friends that Job had, Job says, if it were me in your position, I would want my words to build your faith, to strengthen your confidence, to believe that God is for you, that he is with you, that he will never leave you or forsake you. He is working in you. If it were up to me, I would encourage you and build your faith because everyone you see is facing a battle you don't know anything about. Maybe that's what the author of the Hebrews said this in Hebrews 3.13, such a power-packed verse. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As long as it's called today. That's a lot of encouragement. Do you... Encourage one another each day, as long as it's called today. Why do we do it? So none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's an interesting phrase and a key teaching that I don't just want to pass over here for a moment. Now, deceitfulness is a sin. Okay, sure, thou shalt not lie, etc., etc. But... There is also a lie that gets told when you sin, when you mess up, when you make a mistake, when you falter or fail at something, when you hurt someone. All those things are called sins and they make you feel guilty and whatever. But alongside that guilt, alongside that sin comes a slippery snake-like lie. A snake-like lie that says you're worthless. The lie that says you're not a worthy member of society. You'll never measure up. The lie that says, you don't just have an anger problem, you are an anger problem. The lie that says, you don't just steal something, you're a thief. The lie that says, you're not good enough. The lie that says, you'll never measure up. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that if you steal all the soap from a hotel room, you're, you're going to find yourself in this downward spiral of discouragement, hopelessness and despair. I'm not saying that every time you say some nasty, passive-aggressive words to your partner that you're going to end up evaluating your own self-worth in such a depressing way. But little by little, bit by bit, like the silent slithering of a snake, these lies begin to infiltrate the basic foundations of our lives. Most of the time unseen, most of the time not noticed, 
but it's there. It's a foundational part, eating away. But, one, uh, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Okay then, but how? How do we encourage people? How do we help them be positive? Well, I want to talk about passive and active responses to this. The first, the passive response. And quite simply, it's this. Examine your words. Think about what you're going to say. Every time you're in conversation with someone, take some extra moments to think about whether or not your words are going to put positivity into that person or if they're going to have the opposite effect. Are they words of life or words of death? Here's something else that might come as a shock. Sometimes things don't need to be said. <laughs> you said it best when you say nothing at all, maybe. All right, I admit this is my big challenge. I love to talk. Some could argue I get paid to talk. But I'm also a curious analyst, scientist type who wants to analyze and help and fix and problem solve and figure things out. My big lesson, my big challenge in life is often just to shut up, to recognize when my curious problem-solving brain is taking control of my tongue and to make it stop. So that's the first challenge, perhaps. Check your words and try and figure out if what you're saying is going to add heart to the person you're addressing or if we're going to take it away. Now, let me say something else quite clearly here. I'm not saying you should make all your words positive. That's true. But I am saying you should make sure your words add positive to the other person. You, you can say things that are positive, but which aren't necessarily going to add positivity to the other person. So check your words are positive, but also check whether or not they will add positivity to the person you're talking to. And if they're not, don't say it. That's the passive response of encouragement. But also the secondly with the active response. We need to become proactive in our putting of positivity. Not only do we need to change the conversations we're already having, but we need to have new conversations to put positivity into people. Now, I know saying positive things to people is not a common part of our culture. In fact, we have a culture in which being positive towards someone can be seen as a weakness. It can be seen as a bit pathetic. So if we're going to be a countercultural community, this is one of those points at which we have to fight to be different, right? But I'll admit, it doesn't come naturally. It's not easy. It's, it's awkward to go out of your way sometimes to say something positive. But it's our challenge every day, as long as it's called today, to encourage. If you think something good about someone or something, say it. Why would you ever rob someone of that blessing? So let's think for a moment about how this kind of works. One example. A lot of you are parenting on a whole new level at the moment as you manage lockdown learning. And a challenge to put positivity into our kids. For those of you with a structured-like way of thinking about these things, it's often said that for every word of correction you need to make to a child or perhaps anyone, to be honest, is to often accompany that with 100 words of encouragement. And then that level of positivity, if you put that level of positivity into any relationship, whether you're a parent or child or whether you're a student or a teacher or a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner or a boss or an employee, if you put that level of positivity into another person in the relationship, 
that person and the relationship will improve. A whole lot of positivity will flow. Hope will grow. Excitement will increase. And joy will be in greater evidence. Now, just before we finish up this morning, I want to address something I wrote in the messenger comment this week. Love your neighbor as yourself only works if you are first willing to love yourself. It's not absolutely necessary to be positive about yourself before you can be positive about others, but it really does make it a lot easier. So I want to be clear, you need encouragement too. When I said everyone you see is facing things you can't see, that includes you. Sometimes the person who needs the most encouragement in your life is you. They see you smiling on the outside, but you're hurting on the inside. You look like you're so confident, but part of you feels horribly insecure. You appear to have it all together, but you feel like you're falling apart. There's this great story in the Old Testament in the Bible. David, after he's beaten Goliath and before he becomes king, is wandering in the wilderness with a bit of an army. He's trying to stay out of the way of crazy King Saul, who's jealous of David and is trying to kill him. But David and his men are out in the wilderness. They're doing good things. They're serving people. They're defending people. They're protecting people's livestock and so on. They're doing good work out there. But one time they returned home from a trip and they found that their home camp had been destroyed, burned to the ground, and all the women and children had been carried off as well as all the loot. David's men, his loyal followers, the fighters with him face such fear and grief and loss that they turn on David. They say, it's all your fault, David. And they wanted to kill him. And here's what it says. David was now in great danger because all his men were bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. Found strength. That's a... Good couple of words there, but actually the Greek implies that David was talking to himself. <laughs> this is why the good old King James Version of the Bible wrote it like this. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. <laughs> this tells us that what we say to ourselves matters. Once again, it's nice to see that ancient scripture is reflected in modern psychology. But what we say to ourselves matters. And I know it sounds like there is this one time, this single little obscure story in the ancient Old Testament where we're given this instruction to encourage ourselves. But actually, we see it a lot if you like the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms is, is like reading David's private journal, his inner monologue. And there are lots of times where David encourages himself. For example, there are three times where the great king says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Notice, he didn't say, you got this. He didn't say, you're enough. Go get him, oh my soul. He encouraged himself in the Lord. So this is not about talking to yourself positively. No, actually, you have to preach to yourself. <laughs> this is not about the things you say to you, but the things that God says to you, reminding yourself that you are the righteousness of God. You are a child of the living God, adopted by God Almighty, joint heir with Jesus. You are an ambassador of heaven. You are free from the law of sin and death. You are filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece. You are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. You are more than conqueror. You are the head and not the tail. You have nothing to fear. You can face anything with Jesus. And if that is too much to remember, then remember this one true simple fact. You are the one who Jesus loves. Brothers and sisters, 
Paul says to the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. This week we pray that you would truly be blessed, that you would encourage one another in new and greater ways, we pray. God bless you each.